Welcome to Candid Catholic Convos, a program brought to you by the Catholic Diocese of Harrisburg. Our mission is to humanize the church and help you to grow in your faith, love, and understanding. I'm your host, Rachel Trochet, a cradle Catholic who's only human and struggled with faith on more than one occasion. Each week, you'll hear engaging, down-to-earth interviews and actionable strategies you can implement into your life with ease to help you grow closer to God. If you're ready to open your heart and step fully into the person God created you to be, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hello, hello, and welcome to Candid Catholic Convos. Today, we're talking about Advent. So my kids have this great book by Mo Willems called Waiting is Not Easy. It's about this pair of friends, Gerald, who's an elephant, and Piggy, who, well, he's a pig. Piggy has a surprise for Gerald, but to get it, Gerald has to wait and wait and wait some more. And throughout the book, he groans about how he can't take it anymore. He needs to know what this surprise is, and he needs to know now. But Piggy insists that he wait, so he does, begrudgingly. It starts getting dark, and Gerald complains that they've missed the surprise because it's now dark, and why did they have to wait so long when, spoiler alert, Piggy looks up to the sky and shows Gerald the incredible night sky. And Gerald says, yeah, that was worth the wait. In a lot of ways, I can see myself in the role of Gerald. I spend many of my waiting seasons bored and uninterested, just begging God to give me a hint of what his plan is instead of actively waiting. I think about this book a lot when it comes to Advent and Christmas. Advent is a season of waiting, and God does some of his best work in our waiting seasons. But by this point in the calendar year, I'm just done. Done with all of it. We've been getting bombarded by Christmas since Halloween. The temperatures are dropping. And every weekend in our calendar is so full, we can hardly fit anything else, right? We just want it done and over with. But Advent is a season of waiting and preparation. We're preparing not only for the first coming of Christ as a child in a manger, we're preparing for his second coming as well. Because at some point in our lifetime, Christ is coming again. Whether it's at the end of the world or it's at the end of our lives, He's coming again. And if he were to show up, would you be ready? Seriously, if he showed up on Christmas Day, would there be any room in your calendar for him? Many people, myself very much included, would say no, we're not ready. We still have work and class and all these dinner parties and we still have to get the decorations out and bake the cookies. And oh my gosh, I haven't even started shopping yet. And the Christmas cards. But that's not the goal of Advent, is it? There's no rule that you have to start decorating for Christmas after Thanksgiving. Or that you have to listen to Christmas music all day, every day during Advent. There's no rule that says you have to accept every invite to every Christmas party you receive this year. Advent is not about the Christmas cards or the parties or the dinners. That's all well and good, and there's no rule that says you can't do any of those things. But if it's not serving you, if it's stressing you out, 
and not preparing your heart for the coming of Jesus, then why are you doing it? The goal of Advent is to prepare, to prepare for Jesus' first coming as well as his second coming, to prepare our hearts to worship him well, and to celebrate the fact that he came into this world with the sole purpose of saving us. Advent is about quieting our hearts and souls so there's room for Jesus. Remember, Jesus came into this world as an infant. You wouldn't go barging into the room where a newborn baby is napping and start yelling or throwing confetti and then just leaving, right? You'd walk softly with a quiet voice and hold that baby gently so that it doesn't wake. If everything else you're doing is burning you out and making your waiting experience impatient, then say no. Advent is actually about doing less. It's about saying no to stuff so that we can say yes to Jesus more. So let's think about Advent as not the end of the year, even though that's how it looks on the calendar. It's actually the beginning. It's the beginning of the liturgical year. And just like New Year's, it's an opportunity to restart. What are some ways we can restart, refresh, reframe our commitment to Jesus and celebrate his birthday well? I was thinking of ways I can explain this to my kids and to take a quieter approach myself as I'm looking at my calendar and thinking, oh boy, I have a lot going on. So I'm going to give you several ideas that are good ways for families and individuals to pause and reflect and quiet our hearts. It's by no means exhaustive. You can do as many or as few as you like. Remember, Advent is not a season designed to stress you out. So don't listen to this list and think, oh my gosh, I'm so far behind. Don't do that. Just take what you need and use it well. The first on my list is Advent calendars. There are so many great Advent calendars out there. My favorites are the ones with chocolate in them. It's like a little reward for your waiting. My kids are getting Lego Advent calendars this year because they for sure don't need any more chocolate in their lives. It's something to look forward to with excitement while physically checking off the days and building the anticipation for Christmas. Another idea you could try is a Jesse tree. This is one I might do with my kids this year because it incorporates all of the stories of Jesus's family tree. If you've never done one before, each day of Advent, You read a Bible story about someone on Jesus' family tree, and you hang an ornament symbolizing the story. As you decorate your tree, you'll see how God prepared for Jesus' birth through many generations. There are so many different ways to do this, and they're all pretty amazing. I especially like the felt ones because I have little kids, but you could do this with an actual little tree, or you can print out pictures of the ornaments and build one with a branch from the backyard and some construction paper. This idea is one I just found, and I actually really like it. It's the journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. I like this idea a lot better than the elf on a shelf trend. Instead of an elf moving throughout your house and watching the kids, you set up a nativity scene. And each night, the figures of Mary and Joseph move throughout your house on their way to Bethlehem. On Christmas Eve, they make it to the stable, and Christmas morning, Baby Jesus is in the manger. How cute is that? This one is a classic, and it's one we used to do as a family when I was a kid. It's Advent wreath lighting. 
and it can be as simple or as complex as you would like it to be. Many churches sell fresh Advent wreaths, or you can visit your local craft store. You'll need a metal floral wreath, three purple candles, one pink or rose gold candle, one white candle, and some evergreen boughs. You can weave the boughs throughout the frame. There's really no right or wrong way to do it. Just make sure you secure them in place with some hot glue and place your candles. Just like in church, each week you will light a candle, leaving the pink or rose gold candle for the third week of Advent and the white candle for Christmas Day, signifying Christ as the light of the world. I'm pretty sure my mom still uses the same one we made years ago. So after your first year, you'll really only need to buy the candles again if they're all spent. An angel tree. This one is another one of my favorites. Many churches sponsor a family in need during the holidays and will place their wishes on an angel tree. After mass, you can visit the vestibule and choose one or several ornaments off the tree and purchase the items listed. Then you'll bring both the items and the ornaments back to church the following week. This is great if you're going to be doing some shopping for your own Christmas gift giving. Just add it to your list. Serving others. We're still a bit limited with COVID restrictions, but there are ways you can serve your community still. If you're going to start a new liturgical year, why not start by cleaning out your closets and donating the items you no longer use? Or participating in a canned food drive? You can also check out Catholic Charities' website for their wish list of items they are regularly in need of and arrange a drop-off. Just go to cchbg.org slash get involved and click what you can donate. Those are just some ideas. And again, there's no pressure to do all of them. Remember, it's not about doing more. It's about doing less so we can say yes more to Jesus. I'd love to see how you incorporate some of these into your preparations for Christmas. So make sure you visit our Facebook page at Diocese of Harrisburg and leave us a comment or send us your pictures. From all of us here at the diocese, have a Merry Advent. A Merry Advent? Happy Advent? We'll go with Merry Advent. Have a Merry Advent. And now here's a special message about the history of Advent from Bishop Ronald Gaynor. Shortly after we celebrate Thanksgiving, the fall decorations will come down and we will turn our attention to Christmas. In the weeks leading up to Christmas and the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate the season of Advent. So let's take a look at the meaning of this new liturgical year and the first season of the church year known as Advent. The word itself comes from a Latin word, adventus, uh, that means uh, a coming or approach. And the season itself is divided into two sections, both of them about a coming or an approach, an advent. The very first part and the longest part, really, of the season is about the coming of our Lord at the end of time. Uh, the approach that Jesus will make at the end of human history when he returns in majesty and glory to establish the Father's reign over the new creation. And so the very first part of Advent recalls the second coming of Christ, his approach at the end of time. Beginning on December the 17th, the, the last seven or eight days, of, uh, seven days of the Advent season, we have a, a different um, 
emphasis or theme in those final days of Advent, and that is the approach or the coming of the incarnate Son of God at Bethlehem, our Lord's birth of the Blessed Virgin Mary uh, at Bethlehem. And so the final part of Advent is our immediate preparation for the celebration of Christmas. One of the distinctive things about that second part of Advent are what are called the O antiphons. Those texts are familiar to us from the, I guess, what is maybe our favorite or certainly most familiar Advent hymn, and that is, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And those various verses are really very ancient. They come from the 8th or the 9th century uh, monastic uh, chants, a plain chant, that were sung before and after the Magnificat in the monasteries um, during these latter days of Advent. And they come down to us most familiarly now in that in that favorite Advent hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But they began in the 8th or 9th century as the antiphons before and after the Magnificat in Vespers that were sung by the monks. And those are one of the features uh, during the later days of the Advent season. So, O Wisdom, O Adonai, O Key of David, all beautiful Old Testament images and titles that can be applied to Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, as we prepare for his coming, his birth uh, at Bethlehem. So those are the two facets, the two uh, parts, you might say, of the whole uh, Advent season, both of them preparing for the approach or the coming of our Lord. One of the traditional and I think wonderful symbols of the Advent season is the Advent wreath. Uh, we see them in church. Um, and what I really like about it, though, is that it is a devotion that can be right in our own homes on our family tables. And the family can gather uh, each Advent day, uh, say a prayer, maybe sing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, or another appropriate Advent hymn, and, and count the days before the celebration of Christmas as a family, a family of believers. So we do it in our churches, but we can also have this devotion in our homes. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for the family to pray together and prepare together for the celebration of our Lord's birth. It, the wreath is, is very symbolic. It, it's a circle that reminds us of the endlessness of uh, the, the kingdom of God. Uh, the, without and, and of Jesus, who's coming without beginning or without end, the circle of the wreath. The, the evergreens um, remind us uh, of, of life, something that's very much alive, and, and the Christ who came to us to bring us new life. And typically there are four candles on the Advent wreath. Uh, there are three purple candles and one rose-colored or pink-colored candle. Um, purple is the color, the liturgical color of Advent. And we know that those are the, the, the colors you'll see in the sanctuary, uh, on the altar perhaps, or in decorations. Also the vestments of the priest and the deacon. The purple of Advent is different than the purple of Lent. The Lenten purple is a reminder of penance, uh, sorrow uh, for our sins. The, the purple of Advent is to remind us of that purple that we sometimes see in the sky 
uh, at the sunrise. Just before the sun rises, the sky turns purple. That, that's meant to be the Advent purple, one of anticipation, uh, one of waiting and longing. And so it's not so much penitential as it is a color to remind us of our longing for the coming of Christ. The one rose candle or the pink candle is uh, lit on the third Sunday of the Advent season, which is a Sunday of joy. The, the uh, antiphon that uh, begins the liturgy is about rejoicing because we're getting nearer to the celebration of Christmas. And so pink or rose is the color of joy. And that's the third candle that is uh, lit uh, on the Sunday of joy or Gaudete as it is known in Latin, the Sunday of Gaudete, the third Sunday of Advent. But the Advent wreath in and of itself is a wonderful way of marking the progress of time as we get closer and closer to the celebration of Christmas. You'll notice too, uh, uh, something different about the masses during the Advent season, and that is that the Gloria, the glory to God in the highest is omitted, um, except on a solemnity, December the 8th, it will be sung. But in general, in Advent masses, even on Sundays in Advent, we don't sing the glory to God. The reason is, remember where the, the beginning of that beautiful hymn that we sing very often uh, at mass, uh, we find it in the second chapter of Luke, uh, verse 14. And Luke tells us there that after the shepherds received the message from the angels, there was a whole multitude, a host of heavenly angels who sing out glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people of goodwill. So this is the song of the angels at the birth of Christ. And so we kind of fast from singing that, the glory to God in the highest, the Gloria at mass during Advent so that it can ring out in a fresh way, uh, in a new way, when we sing it at uh, Christmas. So it'll be the first that we'll sing it uh, at the celebrations of our Lord's Nativity, because it's the song of the heavenly host as they proclaimed the glory of God at the Nativity of our Savior at Bethlehem. Another figure that's so prominent is, of course, Santa Claus. And it's good for us to remember that, that the figure of Santa Claus, and it's a complex history, uh, but that there is a historical foundation, and it is the person of a bishop from Asia Minor um, in the fourth century, who was the Bishop Nicholas, Nicholas of Myra in present-day Turkey. Um, he, he was born somewhere around 260, uh, that we don't have great specific details uh, about his, his life, um, but born about the year 260, um, he, he became a bishop and uh, he attended and participated as, as, a, as a good leader uh, at the Council of Nicaea. That council was called in the year 325 uh, because of a, a very insidious heresy known as Arianism. Um, which made Jesus subordinate to the Father. It, it denied the full divinity of Jesus Christ. And the Council Fathers gathered to straighten out, to be able to speak clearly and accurately 
about Jesus being true God and true man. And Arius denied that. Arius himself was at the Council of Nicaea. And there are accounts that St. Nicholas got so passionate about the truth of the incarnation that he actually punched the heretic Arius. That seems to be uh, at least an indication of how strong and faithful the Bishop Nicholas was and a leader at the Council of Nicaea. Another part of his story is that Nicholas um, took delight in secret gift giving. Um, there were legends about women who, young, young women who were of marriageable age, but didn't have uh, money for a dowry, they were too poor, and that he might throw a, a small bag of coins, gold coins or something valuable, in, into their home, and it would allow those young women to have the dowry to marry. But no one knew that it was Bishop Nicholas who was doing this. So he, he had this delight in secret gift giving. And, and so that trait of the Bishop of Mira uh, became something of the foundation as time goes on for the figure of Santa Claus. St. Nicholas, is, you could just think of how Santa Claus can morph, as it were, from the, the words St. Nicholas. Um, it's it just a, a, like a phonic change to get that word or the name of, of Santa Claus. Um, but a wonderful figure of the fourth century church and someone who played a key role in um, the uh, Council of Nicaea. Uh, by tradition, he died on December the 6th in the year 343, um, not too long, 20 years or so after the Council of Nicaea. And that's his feast day. Every, every year we celebrate the Feast of St. Nicholas, the Bishop of Mira, on December the 6th. And many different nationalities have customs about giving a gift uh, on the Feast of St. Nicholas uh, in preparation for the bigger gift giving that comes at Christmas when we celebrate the greatest gift of all, the incarnate Son of God born among us. I thank you for joining me. And until next time, may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. Our goal at the Diocese of Harrisburg is to walk with you on your faith journey. So if this episode resonated with you in any way, the easiest way to show your appreciation is by sharing this program with your network or by leaving a review on your listening platform. You can also support us financially by making a donation online at hbgdiocese.org slash D-A-C and clicking the Make a Donation button. Thanks again, and we'll see you at church on Sunday.
If you're like me, this time of year, life is just so busy. There's a lot going on every day. There's constant noise, social media buzz, work, traffic, never-ending bills, holiday shopping, parties, school events. It sometimes seems like it will never let up. And going to Mass was something that just fell by the wayside. But what if this holiday season, we decided to make a change? What if we went home to Mass just like we go home for celebrations? What if we took just one hour out of our busy lives to intentionally create the space for peace, for God to work in our hearts and to feel his presence during this most joyous time of year? Just one short hour a week turns into over 52 hours of peace a year. How much calmer would your life be? How much more fulfilled would it be? During this season of Advent, the beginning of a new liturgical year, the Diocese of Harrisburg invites you to come home to your church and celebrate the Mass with us. Feel the energy and the love of Christ and carry it with you throughout your busy season of life. Even if it's been a while, no one belongs here more than you. So join us on Sunday, and on behalf of the Diocese of Harrisburg, have a very Merry Christmas. What have you done for your marriage today? For every couple, it's a little different. Um, I sent my husband a love email. We're going to the museums as a family. What have I done for my my marriage marriage today? today? I suppose I I didn't yell at him for anything at all. I made my wife laugh. That is a big plus for a marriage. Keep her laughing. (laughs) What have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Communication Campaign. Parents want the best education possible for their children. Catholic schools offer parents an affordable, high-quality option that educates the whole child, mind, body, and spirit. Catholic schools have high graduation rates. In the Diocese of Harrisburg, over 98% of our students graduate from high school. Locally, these graduates are offered over $40 million in scholarship funds. Learn more at a Catholic school near you or visit GoCatholicSchools.org. Studies show that people who pray regularly and practice their faith are healthier and happier. I'm Bishop Ronald Gaynor. I want to invite you to experience a positive difference in your life by visiting your Catholic parish and encountering Jesus through the sacraments. Do it for your family. Do it for yourself and come home. Remember that God's mercy is and always will be there for you, no matter what your situation. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org to find a parish near you. I'm pregnant. I can't focus. What am I going to do with my baby? My kids are hungry. I can't work. I'm scared. I can't go home. Can somebody somebody help help me? In desperate times, there's a place for hope. Catholic Charities. We help families, children, and those in crisis throughout central Pennsylvania, regardless of your faith. Providing help. Creating hope. Catholic Charities. This program is made possible locally by donations to the Catholic Communication Campaign and the Diocese of Harrisburg. Visit us on the web at hbgdiocese.org.